fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Wolfpack, we are thrilled to bring on for, I think, third, fourth, I'm not sure even how many times now, but for the first time in a while, and that's Ian Harditz, now of Roto World. Congrats on that, big cat. Appreciate you, Wolfie, man. It's good to be back and uh, ready to talk some ball. We got real, real life football right around the corner. Not that I haven't enjoyed the preseason, but you uh, know. Say, <laughs> us addicts can enjoy any type of football. The, the DFS, I'm sure you've been doing all that and whatnot. But I know it's it's literally right here. The only negative of that is I'm a teacher, so it means back to school next week, which sucks. <laughs> but football's on, and that kind of softens the blow at least. But how's everything been going, man? Good summer. Great summer, man. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, just get, uh, getting back to this real life football will be more than appreciated. But hey, man, you know, it's, it's, it, when, when you uh, devote pretty much every single day to it, it's like one of those state, uh, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. And if you, if you want to, as before we get that into the interview, listeners, uh, if you want to find Ian, if you don't already follow him, he's a must follow. He tweets out just great gems throughout the day, both humor times and then also just so informative throughout the day. And you can find him at iHartitz, H A R T I T Z, Ian Harditz right there. So make sure you follow him. It's a, it's a great follow. Always enjoy the content you're pumping out, big guy. Appreciate you, bud. Of course, but uh, yeah, let's kind of dig in. We're just going to do start with a quick intro for anyone who hasn't heard you on the pod before. Kind of, what's your fantasy fantasy story, and how and when did you get involved in this industry? Yeah, man. So uh, I used to, like a lot of people, you know, play football. I wasn't anything too special, just your typical white boy linebacker. You know, <laughs> was 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 never quite going to make it to the NFL. But I was playing some uh, D three ball, University of Chicago. Had a couple of concussions throughout my career. Again, realized I wasn't going pro, called it quits. Still loved the game, though. Wanted to stay involved. So when I was 19, pretty much, man, every football article I read, every Twitter guy I could find, I just tried to email everyone and just say, hey, you know, want to do some free research for you. You can write it. You're the writer. But let me help you pretty much. And uh, luckily enough, my guy, Jonathan Bales, co-founder of Fantasy Labs, was the only guy to really come back to me and uh, give me an opportunity. Pretty much just grinding my ass off with him for uh, the next year. He kind of let me start getting into writing after that. And from there, man, it's just that grind. It's just doing it day after day after day. And you know, I've been doing that now for about seven years or so. And, uh, you know, started off with uh, with Fantasy Labs, which is a DFS-centered, uh, you know, platform really focused on DraftKings and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, even with that, you know, I've always tried to maintain, you know, the true just love of the game, still look at film and defensive guys and offensive linemen and all the different kind of pieces that some fantasy players like to ignore. So it's, uh, you know, just there's always something more in football, whether it's scheme, whether it's players, whether it's a different position that you can always learn more about. So that's why it's easy to keep coming back for more. And you kind of just answered my next question. I'm not sure if there's any more to add on to this. But <laughs> we, we say we bring on the Wolves, the people that separate from the pack. And you mentioned not a lot of owners might pay attention to some of these under the radar, but hugely important things like line, like offensive scheme and whatnot. So you kind of already gave us a, a hint at your fantasy edge. Are there any other techniques or stats or approaches you have to really separating yourself from the fantasy pack here? 
Yeah, man, it's just that day after day grind like I'm talking about. But uh, mm. I'd say the other thing is really don't underestimate these uh, snap counts. I mean, I think one of the most yeah. useful things you can look at, especially if you don't have a chance to watch the games. I mean, just Monday morning, you can go on pro football reference, even if you don't have a pro football focus, and just go through the game and see who's playing at least 70, 80% of the snaps. You know, it's one of the highest correlated uh, metrics with fantasy success because you can't rack up fantasy points if you're not in the field. So, yeah. you know, the tar- targets and carries obviously matter too, but uh, there's going to be some fluky games where, you know, a guy's on the field for only half the game and he winds up with eight targets. You know, you find the undervalued guys when there's the dude that's running 80% snaps and maybe he just didn't get a couple of looks one game. But, you know, that's a situation you can feel more comfortable, comfortable uh, attacking in future weeks. Absolutely. And I think even in like preseason right now, as you're watching snaps are the one stat I really try to pay attention to. I mean, last year kind of led me, I was down on McCaffrey entering the preseason. I thought CJ Anderson was going to have a role. And then you just notice he had every single first team snap whenever Cam Newton was on the field. So I bumped him up to the first round and obviously that worked out and you're starting to see some of those trends this year with other, uh, other first round players and whatnot too. So it, you know, snaps are definitely always important even right now. So I think it's a great, great little stat that not enough people end up paying attention to. So I love that you shouted that one out. Um, and then just real quick, you're, you're at Roto World now, right? How did the, uh, that's, I mean, that's one of the industry giants. That's really what I've always used since, you know, day one, 12 years ago. I love their blurbs and whatnot. When did that rise happen and, and how did that, co- that come to be? It's exciting, man. I'm getting started for them on uh, September 3rd. So right for this uh, upcoming nice. football season, but, you know, began the process with them. About six weeks ago, and uh, lucky enough to be continuing over there. But yeah, man, you know I consider them the industry giant as well. And uh, we'll be doing—I'll be doing some of those news blurbs, uh, wide receiver, cornerback column, as always, and then uh, injury dashboard to help keep everyone updated on that. So I, I would say expect more of the same from me. But uh, you know, just yeah. hopefully should be a little more out there underneath the Roto World brand. So we'll see—we'll see how it goes, man. But uh, awesome. yeah. Uh, uh, last thing real quick also, which is with the snaps. I mean, if you aren't already, you need to just focus on opportunity more than talent. I mean, yeah. look, I I love picking the wide receivers that just look like ballers. You watch a fucking highlight clip of them, and the guys are making contested catches left and right. That's great. And if you can find a guy like that that's getting 10 targets a game, even better. Let's get the ballers with a bunch of opportunity. But it's way easier for you know everyone out there that's got a full-time job that can't focus on fantasy football yeah. 24 hours a day. You're going to have more success focusing on the guys that are just simply on the field and getting the ball versus trying to figure out which guy is better than which other guy. 100%. Yeah, volume is key. Opportunity is key. Uh, so it, it's huge. Uh, we When we at, at – uh, at Roto Street Journal, we try to grade players on, a, we call it our uh, fantasy stock formula. We have talent and opportunity as the two biggest factors. We also work in you know surrounding talent uh, for the, the whole team. Obviously, you need a good quarterback if you're going to really blow up as a wide receiver for the most part. Uh, we work in you know other things like the risk factor, the scheme and whatnot. But opportunity is graded just as high as talent in that score. Uh, so yeah, we, we fully agree with you. Um, and we're going to move right now into the, the specific players. So the way these two sections work, uh, most of my listeners have heard this before, but first we always start with a few guys who are a little higher on or lower on than the ECR, the expert rankings. Uh, and then we're going to move on to a few players we don't see eye to eye on and see if either one of us bends. Either way, it's really <laughs> valuable to, if I've been pumping, let's say you know Jared Cook's coming a little bit and I've been pumping him on this podcast, it's good for my listeners to hear maybe some reasons why they shouldn't be quite as high as well. So I always love that part. And then we're going to run you through the no huddle where we do some rapid fire uh questions who's goes number one overall things like that so you ready to get down to it ian let's get it wolfie 
Alrighty, uh, first player, I love it, is Will Fuller. And this is somebody I love, yet we haven't really talked about much on my podcast. And I'm so excited for you to kind of go into why you love him and see if I can add anything onto it. What do you like about Will Fuller here in 2019? It's hard not to like the guy. He's still being drafted as this, like, in the early wide receiver 30 range. And all the guy does when he's on the field with a healthy offense is work as a borderline wide receiver one. I mean, look, we've had 11 games over the last two years where Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Fuller have been healthy. During that time, Fuller's averaged 17.2 points per reception per game, which would have been good for the wide receiver 13 last year. And look, he's a boomer bust guy, but he's not this John Brown, Deshaun Jackson type that you like. is going to give you nothing most weeks. I think he's more like Brandon Cooks than we give him credit for because he's finished as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver in six of those 11 games. I mean, the ceiling is stupid high, and he consistently gets there. So I, I think, you know, he's – you watch him. He's got the speed. He's good on contested catches and all that. But I think the true thing that just shows how good Will Fuller is is what happens to Texans offense when he's not on the field. I mean, Watson's Watson's average yards per attempt go from 9.03 to 7.2 once Fuller's off the field. And even Hopkins, I mean, think about it. When defenses are able to focus even more uh, attention on Nuke, I mean, it's shown up in the stat sheet. He has 12 touchdowns in 11 games with Fuller. Also has 12 touchdowns without Fuller, but it's come in 21 games. So really hasn't been the same kind of scoring beast. Yeah, absolutely. And even the duds, you, you mentioned six out of ten or 11 have been top 10. And there's really only been two duds out of those 11. Some of the others, you know, 12, 14, 15 points. So as you mentioned, it's not like John Brown where it's either like one or zero, which is fantastic with him. I know some people worry about Kiki Cutie and how that can impact him. But let's see Kiki Cutie stay on the field too, just like Fuller. <laughs> He's got his own injury concerns as well. I love, you know, one of the strategies I find myself falling into a lot right now is A.J. Green goes in round six or so, and Fuller's right there in round seven. Maybe I only get four or five games out of Fuller, but if that's the bridge I need to then get to A.J. Green, I, I love it. So I'm, I'm all with you. I, I know the injury risk. There's no denying it, but nobody can separate. No one can blaze down the field like this guy. And, and, and you mentioned Deshaun Watson, too. In that rookie season when they had Fuller, when he was fully healthy, Watson, Ooh. they averaged 40 and a half points per game. I mean, that was almost a touchdown more than the Chiefs last year. 56 touchdown pace for Watson. Fuller himself was on like a 28 touchdown pace or something, saying, Obviously, he's never going to hit that, but still, it's just that whole offense could be so juicy if and when he stays healthy. So, I know, pray for at least 10 games out of him. Maybe you won't get him, but the, the games you have, I, I love it. I, I'm all about it. Um, yeah, man. And, like, yeah. One, like, you know, people worry about Kiki QT a little bit, but th- again, think about these targets. Like, Fuller is their field stretcher, and he's with mm-hmm. a quarterback that is incredible at evading pass rushers and yes. just. Really, like he takes a lot of sacks. That's because he holds the ball so long. He's willing to take those shots downfield, which is just the perfect quarterback for Fuller. And obviously, we've seen that whenever they're on the field together. So, if you are going to take a chance with some of these, you know, quote unquote injury prone guys, make sure they're like straight ballers. And that's exactly what Fuller is. Absolutely. I think that's a great point, too. How many times have we seen Watson buy that one extra second, two extra seconds? And when you have your four, three, or whatever the speed is with Fuller, you don't need much more than one second to get completely behind the defense. Oh, so good. It's unbelievable. And another unbelievable deep threat with a, a great chemistry with his quarterback, actually legitimately perfect chemistry with his quarterback last year, is Tyler Lockett. Perfect passer rating with Russell Wilson. Unbelievable efficiency. And we're both so high on this guy. What makes you think he could be even better in 2019? So, look, everyone, you know, anytime a player in any position has one of these 
historically efficient seasons. Everyone loves to scream regression, regression, regression. Yeah. And yeah, Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson are not going to have a perfect quarterback rating together again this year. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to continue all these years, but you can still have regression and still end up being a better fantasy player if we're getting an increase in volume like it looks like we are with Lockett. I mean, he was the PPR wide receiver 16 last season. He only had 70 targets. I mean, he benefits from re- returning. He'll get a rush here and there as well. Like that goes into that. But Doug, Dougie Baldwin's gone. He's retired. And as, as the Seahawks undisputed number one in 2015 to 2017, he averaged 115 targets per season. I mean, maybe Lockett doesn't get all the way up to that with Schottenheimer, you know, and his historic run first, second, and third scheme. But I'm again, if we're going to take a chance on a guy in a lower volume pass offense, it should be someone that we've seen just work as an elite receiver again and again and again. And I mean, this combination between Russ and Lockett is arguably the league's single best. I mean, I went through every single quarterback and number one wide receiver, looked at the uh, career adjusted yards per attempt. The only duo that was better than Russ and Lockett are your guys, Tom Brady and Josh Gordon. I mean, Mahomes and Mahomes and Tyreek aren't even in the top two. And, you know, obviously we've all seen how good those guys, those guys are. So the volume, I mean, you look at the receivers on the Seahawks. I like DK Metcalf and some of these guys, but all these other receivers are, you know, 6'2", 210 plus, and they, they're they fast as hell. I mean, the Seahawks clearly have a type, but they're all mm-hmm. outside guys. Lockett is in that slot role. There's a chance he does get more kind of high percentage underneath targets because Baldwin's gone, and we already know what he can do on deep balls. So, yeah, man, sign me up for all Lockett this all the Lockett this year. Uh, I'm, I'm all in, too, and you mentioned that volume spike. There's a report coming from Brock Heward. He's been covering the Seahawks for the last 12 years. And he said, you know, in early camp, he hasn't seen in 11 years covering the team, he's never seen the team make such a concerted effort to get someone the ball in different ways than Tyler Lockett. They're moving him yeah. in the backfield, moving him in the slot. Yeah, those are the reports where it's just like you <laughs> you twerk up a little bit downstairs. The best, man. I fucking, you read those and it's so exciting to know how efficient. Six to yeah. midnight. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously the efficiency, it's, you can't be perfect again you don't think but if that volume does you know even 30 40 percent more as they're expecting it's going to be you compare him to you mentioned Tyreek I could totally see that Tyreek Hill style breakout this year where he's just a a number one receiver for everyone who takes him in round four or five and we're talking about him as a a second rounder next year I absolutely love Tyler Lockett I'm going to scream that one on the mountaintops the entire offseason it seems like we have a type too because our third player on here is Curtis Samuel we must just love explosive you know, deep threat and dangerous with the ball in their hand style receivers because this guy is an absolute freak. And there hasn't been one, any player who has a, a bigger hype train than T- Curtis Samuel this offseason, but it seems like you're buying it and you're aboard too, right? I'm with you, man. It's just yeah. that it's just kind of the, the discount you can get going from DJ Moore to Curtis. And like, yeah, a uh, gun to my head, I think DJ Moore probably winds up at more fantasy points this year and he's a slightly more polished receiver at this point. But it's so close, and it could easily flip. And for the discrepancy in rounds, I mean, you got to go with Samuel. I mean, mm-hmm. look, last season, final six games, once Devin Funches got delegated to backup status, Samuel had 42 targets. Moore had 43. I mean, the unfortunate part of this, I mean, for two receivers this good, you know, during that stretch, McCaffrey had 53 targets. Yeah. So <laughs> I I think he's, you know, C- run CMC, still going to be a number one guy there. But, uh, hey, I mean, in this offense, Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, they can both still be good with this, uh, you know, slightly reduced target share because – both of them do stay involved in the running game. I mean, Moore had 13 mm-hmm. carries last year. Samuel had eight. Uh, there's hidden value there because they're consistently used as kind of the pitch man, those triple option schemes that Carolina uses a good amount. 
And, you know, I know some kind of biggest concern in Carolina this year is Cam's shoulder uh, reports out training camp have been good. You know, he can throw 30 yards now without his shoulder hurting. That's awesome. Can't believe what that dude had to go through last year. But look, if there ever was going to be a season where uh, Cam does have to deal with reduced arm strength, I think now with guys like Samuel Moore, McCaffrey, you know, guys he can dump the ball down to, and then they can go make plays happen. I mean, the days of him having to force contested catches to Funches and Kelvin Benjamin all game are over. I mean, this offense, I think, is the best suited for Cam's status uh, that he's had in years. Absolutely. And I had a, just before this, one of the Wolves we had on, his name's Pete Davidson. He does a ton of film breakdown too. And something he mentioned outside of Samuel and all the hype we've seen and his refinement as a route runner and everything, which is fantastic reports out of camp. And I love that even Tredavious White and outside corners that he's facing on opposing teams. It's one thing if it's the beat writers gushing about you, but when you get the, you know, an elite corner saying this guy's release was, you know, tough to cover all camp when we had those joint practices is great. But what what, uh, Pete pointed out, and you mentioned with some of those McCaffrey statistics and those those short game passes is he's kind of it, it might take a few years and we're even seeing this with Watson now to start relying on your running back or your yak threats you know that those short and intermediate game and Cam's never had that and he's still definitely refining that accuracy but that willingness to let his receivers do the work if he continues to grow in that way I mean between Moore between McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel that offense could be a nightmare in just the short passing game and then when defenses cheat up if that deep ball like you mentioned is coming back all three of them can take the top off the defense too so I just think in general the Panthers it could be just a terror of an offense I think Cam Newton could rebound to a crazy fantasy production and Samuel could spearhead it all at the wide receiver positions so uh, I, I'm thrilled about this guy. I think the Panthers as a whole, I'm thrilled about. And you can still get this guy. I mean, the hype train is real. He's starting to creep up until like rounds nine, eight, even. I took him in seven in my first big draft just to make sure I had him. But, uh, you know, similar to Tyler Lockett, there's no reason Curtis Samuel is explosive as he is and is dangerous after the catch. He used to be like a, a hybrid running back Percy Harvin type. There's, there's no reason he couldn't be Tyree Kill too, just like we said with Lockett. So I love all three of these guys. you have anything to add on, on any of these other three or do you want to move on to the disagrees uh the point of, i mean good point because i mean look I, i'm columbus ohio boy i watched curtis samuel play every single game at ohio yeah. state and you're right man he really was this more hybrid running back wide because he played running back in high school and then he got to ohio state and i mean they were lining up in the backfield plenty i mean he had this run against clemson when osu got shut out but he went 60 yards you know right through the teeth of that defense you know making dudes miss in the hole and everything and unfortunately he's lined it's like fewer than five snaps with the Panthers. He's even lined up in the backfield. So that's an entirely different part of his game. And, hey, shout out to uh, Norv Turner for kind of crafting this offense and being willing to uh, kind of do these different yeah. things. I remember last year when he joined there, everyone kind of joked around, oh, how is 70-year-old you know, old man Norv Turner going to mesh with Cam Newton? Well, pretty good because Norv's you know, more than willing to change what he does to fit the talents around him. So kudos to Absolutely. Norv. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, and he's always been a great deep ball artist, and he he's merged his game now to to mesh with that short yardage. It's it's great. Everything seems to be clicking there. I'm so excited to see what year two in that system does for all the players there. So I'm stoked. Um, and then now we're going on to the disagrees, where it's some players we were either both one of us might be high, one of us might low on. Um, either way, we we both going to have our points here. And a player that's joining a new system that I think could really blow up in his new home is Jared Cook. But you're not quite as excited about him with the same as I might be. What do you have against the Cook man here? So I don't want to compare Jared Cook to Kobe Fleener or say anything outrageous like that. With that said, man, last 10 years, tight ends under Drew Brees, we had Jimmy Graham. He was tight end one or tight end two four times. 
Ben Watson got in there and got a tight end seven in 2015. So it's it's possible for a non-Jimmy Graham guy to get there. But now Jared Cook, he's not in those early 2000s Saints offenses anymore. Because if you look at Breeze's pass volume the last two years, they're a run first team now. And I understand that, you know, a part of that is just their defense being better. They're winning, so they're running the ball a little bit more. But, I mean, the drop-off in Breeze's pass attempts these last two seasons, like he was over 40 at- attempts per game from, like, 2016 to like 2009 and these last two years he's been under 35 per game so they're making a concerted effort to throw the ball less when he is throwing the ball we already know that Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are going to be those top two targets and I'm just not convinced at this stage in his career that Breeze is going to be able to elevate three uh, really fantasy relevant receivers I mean look He's in that dome. He's got these uh, talented weapons. I don't – I mean, there's no reason why he couldn't play another couple years at a high level. I mean, he he just, you know, led the league in completion rate and yards per attempt. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. With that said, man, I was – I mean, if you watch the playoffs and stuff, you could see Breeze deep ball kind of falter down the stretch. Didn't look like quite the same guy. And, I mean, I just compared his drop-off in those last six weeks to what we saw from Peyton Manning in 2014 before he fell off a cliff. Eerily similar. And like I said, he's playing in a dome. He's not playing in Denver, so it's a little bit different there. But Father Time catches up to all these guys, and Breeze is getting up there. And, you know, at the very least, I'm just concerned about if Breeze can uh, still just elevate an offense to the extent he was able to in the past. I think you brought up a lot of points that the the biggest concern I have is that volume one, they have become so run heavy and the best Saints teams we've had, the ones that make the the deepest runs, even dating back to when Breeze was elite and they had that Super Bowl team, that was the run heaviest the Saints had been over that decade. Sure was. I I, I totally understand that argument and I I can't really argue against the diminishing aerial pie, so we like to compare it to. It's definitely going to be a smaller one uh, and the, the decreasing deep ball, definitely a concern too, but but what I what the stat you brought up that I do really like is the accuracy was still there. And what I'm really looking at with Cook is this team does live in the red zone, especially when you got you know Kamara just as dangerous as anybody in the NFL. So if this team continues to be that red zone maven and all over the place, that's where I think Jared Cook, even if he's not a, a high yardage guy, I could see t- ten to twelve to you know however many touchdowns because he's still six foot five. He still has a, a 40, almost 40 inch vertical, and he ran a, a rumored 4 3 7 40. So, I mean, the athleticism Ooh. is insane. If Breeze could just maintain that accuracy of putting the ball wherever he wants it in the short game, when you got a body like that in the red zone, it's going to be a deadly combination, in my opinion. I know we've been chasing, as you alluded to, when's the next Jimmy Graham coming to be? That's even how I titled my article on, on <laughs> uh, uh, Jared Cook was, Is this the next Jimmy Graham, essentially? Because we've all been chasing it since that monster year. I do like that Dan Campbell their tight end coach said, hey, we had to dust off some of those old playbooks from Jimmy Graham's days because we finally have the athlete to run these plays. Sean Payton kind of gushed about how he's he's great in yard after the catch roll. Breeze himself, what I was you know talking about those 50-50 balls, he said he's got great length. He's got a big catch radius. You feel like you can put it a lot of places and he's going to go get it where other guys can't. So, I mean, if you're getting the praise from Breeze, you're getting the praise from your tight end coach, from Sean Payton, I, I like all that. So, I am concerned, you know, the third mouth and a, a diminishing aerial pie that's getting smaller and smaller that concerns me but all those other heaps of praise coming on and what he could do in the red zone with Breeze keeps me especially at a position where you know after the the big three there's kind of that tier of Ingram and Hunter Henry but after those two guys I don't see a lot of 
clear-cut next ascensions. Maybe Vance McDonald, maybe this, but to me, Jimmy Graham might be the best bet. I mean, look what he did with the, the Raiders last year. He can't at least match that. I, I don't. He won't get the targets, but I just think the quality goes up so much yeah, more. Yeah, that's, that's a good point about the quality. I mean, he's not going to have uh, the focus of the entire defense on him like he did last year because yeah. they're going to obviously be looking at Mike T and uh, Kamara. So, no, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from it. And I, the thing about Jared Cook is, like you mentioned with his speed, I don't know if he's a, quite a 4-3 guy, but regardless, <laughs> regardless, he's clearly a guy that defenses, you know, when you run him down the seam, they really got to respect that. So, you know, again, this could be a situation where just him having him on the field, even if he isn't the biggest fancy contributor, which if he's going to get there, I agree with you, it's going to be with, uh, with some red zone dominance. But that's really going to open up those underneath routes for uh, mm-hmm. Thomas and Kamara. And I think uh, when we did see the Saints offense have trouble last year, like I was saying, it was when uh, you know Breeze wasn't able to hit that deep ball as yeah. consistently. So now having uh, Cook, having Teddy Ginn out there, you know, Traquan Smith a little more polished, there is going to be a more heightened sense of speed on the field in New Orleans this year, which is good. Absolutely. And another guy we don't see quite eye to eye on is Alan Robinson here. I'm a little bit lower on him than you are. I just don't know if I see the consistent enough volume. I'm sure he's going to have his dominant blow up games. We saw it in the playoffs last year. It's maybe it's recency bias for some people. It looks like this guy could be that dumber one. But I feel like similar to people chasing that next Jimmy Graham, I feel like we've been chasing that, you know, 2015 or whatever year that was Alan Robinson had in Jacksonville. And we just haven't seen that same player, but you're a little bit higher on Allen Robinson. Try to sell me on this guy. This guy, 80 catches, 1,400 yards, and 14 touchdowns like a 22-year-old <laughs> with Blake Bortles on the I center, know. man. How I did know. that happen? How did that I, happen? That doesn't like, make sense to me. <laughs> oh, man. I, look, and I get it. I get the concerns. He hasn't been that same guy, clearly. His last two seasons, he's uh, played. He's been a bottom five receiver and average separation per target per uh, next-gen stats. I mean, he's kind of this... Des Bryant esque. Uh, he's he needs a quarterback to put the ball like right. You know he can go up there and get it, but he needs the ball to yeah. be thrown to him to go up and get it. And I understand when quarterbacks would rather throw to the open guy versus the you know hey even when he's covered he's open type guy. And that's what he is a little bit. But with that said, when you know we had 12 games last year with A. Rob and Mitch under center, and he averaged a team high 7.8 targets in that game. And, you know that extrapolated over 16 games. We're looking at about 124 targets per year. So. I don't know if he's ever going to quite get that wide receiver one range again, but he's not even being really selected in that range right now. And he's uh, kind of going in that same Wolf Fuller range, kind of in the you know upper 20s, lower 30s. And look, over these last four years that he's played in PPR points per game, he's finished as the uh, wide receiver 30, wide receiver 33, wide receiver 8, obviously awesome here, and then wide receiver 35. So uh, even in these years where he hasn't been the same guy, he's returned value that's uh, akin to what he, where he's being drafted at right now. So I think you can pretty much get him at his floor. Uh, you know, I I have a feeling this Bears offense takes a step back. So, you know, I'm not saying overload yourself with exposure to A-Rob. But, hey, if Trubisky, who, again, hasn't started many games through his career, he's in year two of a system. If he can uh, take a step forward this year, I think Allen Robinson is going to be a big reason why. And it's a pretty cheap, uh, you know, again, this isn't this is a stack that you can get in season-long leagues. That's not going to cost you much. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I see all those points for sure. Uh, but I think what you mentioned, if this offense takes a step back and what they kind of make their calling card on under Nagy is spreading it around and playing the right matchups. And I think Nagy himself has even come out and said, you know, some weeks it might just be a Taylor Gabriel week. And even last year, Taylor Gabriel, I know Robinson missed time, but Taylor Gabriel was only one target off of their their total. And 
per game, I know the average obviously shakes out in Allen Robinson's favor quite a bit, but they really do just seem to move it around and play mismatches so well, which is what makes this team so dangerous. So I, I just, I don't know if you'll ever get that true number one. And, and granted, you don't have to pay a true number one price, but it, what you mentioned is where he goes. You can get guys like, you know, Calvin Ridley, or Ro- I mean, especially Robbie Anderson for me, like where he goes, he might be a true number one that I have faith in where he's built that chemistry with Sam Darnold and, and that stretch run they had and then early preseason dividends looks like they're carrying right where they left off I guess to me it's more about who you'd have to pass up on the opportunity of Allen Robinson that opportunity cost I just see a lot more upside even like Curtis Samuel who we talked about I think I'd rather have the the potential blow up I just don't see it with Robinson I do love the reports about how he's you know healthier he hasn't have to focus on rehabbing so now in camp it's more about building that chemistry and really becoming a major part of the offense that's starting to steer me a little more in his direction but I just see this passing game at least being so spread out that it's going to be a few huge weeks and then a, a few just you don't even know where he went and I just would rather take a shot on an Allen I mean a, a Robbie Anderson or a, you know maybe even Josh Gordon now that he's back something Ooh. of that nature where it's more consistent uh, that's that's where I kind of lean in his price range I guess that's why I just never end up with him is I like the players that go around him quite a bit more yeah, that's 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 fair. And the one thing that does concern me from A. Rob last year, he had two really big blow up games. One was against the Eagles in the playoffs, and what wide receiver one didn't go off against the exactly, Eagles last year? Yeah. His other game was against the Lions when Darius Slay was out. So I mean, mm. it was, you know, it really haven't seen him just dominate a tough matchup in a long time. So I, I understand the concern. Yeah, exactly. But one bear that I am high on, and you actually don't see eye to eye on me with, is Montgomery, and I feel like. The passing game may be pretty spread out, and obviously we have Tariq Cohen there too, but in my eyes, Matt Nagy's offense has been at its most dangerous when he has kind of a a true three-down horse and can kind of disguise what he's doing. And obviously last year with Jordan Howard, you weren't able to do that. They were the most predictable team in the league. They ran it 60% of the time when Howard was in, and that was first in the league, and they were passed it 60% of the time when Cohen was in. That was the second most in the league. So they were the definition of predictable, and that's the exact opposite of what Nagy wants to do. He goes out and you know spends very precious draft capital. He didn't have much to get this guy. I I kind of see him as the cornerstone of this this rushing attack and this overall offense. But uh, it seems to me you might not agree quite as much. What's what is your uh, concern with Montgomery here? So my concern with Montgomery is just more. I think Miles Sanders is in a better situation. You can get him like ten picks later at this point. Montgomery, look, there's I think 270 available touches from Jordan Howard being gone. Like. Yeah, if he gets all those, man, like he is going to ball out. The guy just, I think, broke PFFs, like broken tackles records over these last two seasons. Yeah, I mean, 102 back-to-back years or something like that. The only player to ever do it. Man. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. And then he, he goes into preseason, he looks like the same guy. We were getting practice clips, he looks like the same guy. I mean, yep. look, Dave Montgomery looks like a beast, but, I mean, Tariq Cohen is not going anywhere. He's going to, like, lead that backfield in targets. Even if Montgomery is competent. And we still have some beat writers talking about how Mike Davis, you know, is not going to be an afterthought. You know, we only have to go back one year ago to a time when Mike Davis was taking away too many snaps from a, you know, high round draft pick. I think Montgomery is better than Rashad Penny. I'm not trying to open up that can of worms, Mm. but there's a lot of competition there. And I've even mentioned my guy Cordero Patterson maybe getting a few backfield snaps yet. So uh, I'm just saying when I compare the teams, there's competition. (laughs) There's competition at Chicago backfield. There's competition in the Eagles backfield. I am way more confident in the Eagles offense being a very good unit this year than I am the Bears. And I think there's a better chance that Miles Sanders opens the season as their clear-cut starter over Montgomery. So, 
you know, if you can get both of them on your team, I think you're going to be in a good spot, particularly, you know, by week six or eight. Because I think we do see a lot with these rookie running backs. They kind of take over after the first month or two of the season. But, uh, yeah, Matt, again, kind of like how A-Rob's being drafted towards his floor. I just feel like right now Montgomery's being drafted a little closer to the ceiling. I got you there. And I think I love the Miles Sanders call, too. I'm a big fan of him. I've been starting to warm up to the idea of owning both these guys. Uh, To me, though, I see it almost a little reverse. I feel like Montgomery's the one that has a better shot coming out as the clear workhorse. And it's more so because of the scheme trends. You know, Doug Peterson's always been a committee guy since joining the Eagles. and, And I understand he hasn't had the talent to necessarily move away from a committee. No one's really commanded that backfield like Miles Sanders could potentially. But Jordan Howard's reportedly looked really good and whatnot throughout camp. Uh, whereas Matt Nagy, when he's had the right guy, let's say Kareem Hunt back in, in Kansas City, and Andy Reid might have been the one calling plays, as you know, rumors over who it actually was calling shots there, but uh, ultimately he's preferred a workhorse when he's had the right guy, and so many people compare Montgomery to Kareem Hunt because of the contact balance, because of the elusiveness in space. You cited those PFF stats, the, the broken tackle rate just kind of highlights that comparison even further, so if this guy truly is that next Kareem Hunt-style player, I don't see why Nagy wouldn't give him that type of treatment where Kareem Hunt led the league in rushing as a rookie. So I see him as the better shot at a clear-cut featured back right off the bat, whereas Sanders maybe more week six, week eight, he becomes a a stretch-run season winner. Yeah, man, we'll see how it uh, plays out. I I hear you with the Peterson uh, concerns. I mean, it's something like he hasn't had a – you know, they, obviously they've had a ton of injuries. They haven't had a ton of capital invested in these guys. But I'm pretty sure, no, there's like one example of a running back playing over 40% of yeah. uh, the total team snaps throughout a season with Peterson over these last three years. You know, I'm I'm just looking at the point where kind of same, similar thing with Montgomery. I mean, the Bears did trade up for Montgomery, you know, selecting him in that early round. Eagles mm-hmm. did a similar thing with Sanders and then kind of came out and said, you know, yeah, we consider him a three-down back. We're really excited about what he can do so yeah i mean it's to me like they're similar enough that i'll take a cheaper one but i mean look montgomery is going to be a really good player and you know i I wouldn't bet against him too hard so i i I see it wolf you're you're changing my mind a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i'm a big fan of him i I, and i like i mean my takeaway is draft them both i you know i get get montgomery around four or five where he's going get miles sanders around or two later I love I love the rookies in general. I feel like a lot of them have landed in decent spots, these running backs that, that fit what they do really well, including Henderson and some of these guys. So I've, I've always been so high on rookie running backs. I, every year I end up with like two or three, and usually at least one of them pans out. So my, my best bet is Montgomery, but wouldn't be shocked if Miles Sanders is better than all of them by the end of the season. That that line, that overall offense, the, the platform for Sanders, if he gets the lion's share, is the best in the league. So that that's why I could totally love him by the end of it all um, yeah man I, I do worry sometimes that we get too high on rookies just because you know a lot of times people spend like february through april talking about these guys yeah. you know with all the draft coverage and stuff and then you know it does sometimes take them a while but at the running back position nowadays I and mean, we've seen more and more like these high draft picks are selected to get on the field in a hurry and it's kind of the one position that you're able to you know put a rookie out there and get elite production in a hurry so yeah as long as you're hearing you know the good things and you're seeing it on the field like mm-hmm. we have with both these guys you know that's when you can take a chance on them for sure yeah it's a, it's a good cautionary tale for sure free agencies too like you see these new free agents and you're like oh my god look at this guy be great. colors and you always yeah <laughs> it, there's plenty of cautionary stats that tell you not to overreact so i i'm i'm, a, I'm never good about taping the hype and i'm always about jumping aboard the train so it is a good little <laughs> cautionary tale uh, but we're going to now run you through the no-huddle offense where we just 
kind of looking for rapid-fire answers. If there's any you want to expand on, you're welcome to give more. But all we're looking for is kind of the name, the round, whatever the, the question asks, what comes to mind when I ask it. So you ready to, to get through the no-huddle offense, Ian? Let's do it. All righty. So right now there's kind of a consensus top three. It's looking like Barkley, Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey. Who do you think belongs first, and who do you think should go fourth right after those guys? Correct answer is Christian McCaffrey, only one that can lead his team in rushing and receiving, and doesn't have Elon Manning at quarterback. And mm-hmm. look, at, at four, I'm still uh, I'm still taking Ezekiel Elliott at this point. I'm really confident this guy plays by week one. Nice. Are you girlying or you're not girlying the season? Man, not really. If he's there, like at the end of round three, let's boogie. But I'm not reaching on the guy. Round three, jeez. If he's there at the end of round three, you're winning your season. But nonetheless, that's exactly. not the debate so time with this guy. The top scoring wide receiver in 2019 will be dot dot dot. Will be the best wide receiver in the NFL, Odell Beckham Jr. Baby, I love it. You're like the third person to do that on on this podcast too, and he goes in like the round two sometimes. It's, it's crazy to me, and I'm I'm fully with you. What him and Baker could do this year is going to be insane. The next tight end to join the the fantasy elite, so not those top three, but who's going to be the guy that makes that next jump as a cheat code style tight end? It's number four, OJ Howard, still just 24 years old. And quick stat for y'all, I mean, look, he's it's a problem has been getting him on the field enough. Per Adam Levitan, he's played on 21 of 22 snaps with Jameis Winston this preseason. I love Bruce Arians. It. Bruce Arians has never had a tight end like O.J. Howard, and we're, gonna, we're about to see what happens when he does this year. I, I hate that argument that Bruce Arians doesn't use his tight ends. It's like, what, Jermaine Gresham and Rob Hausler? Who the fuck blames him <laughs> for not using his tight ends? This dude's exactly. 6'5 and runs a faster 40 than Mike Evans. He's going to be an unbelievable mismatch nightmare. I'm fully with you there. I, I love it. All right, so you already mentioned Zeke you're not worried about. You'd still take it number four overall. Do you have a similar stance on Melvin Gordon, or what do you think of him? No, I mean, especially with this rap sheet report from uh, uh, Wednesday, it's looking like Gordon's going to miss regular season time. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at him closer to round four or five. And, I mean, kind of like Gurley, man, I'd rather just let someone else draft him at this point. Gotcha. So everyone loves a good fantasy bargain and the bragging rights that come with it. By position, who are your favorite picks to exceed their cost and break out this year? Quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Running back, Austin Eckler. Which, I'm, it, it's cheating a little bit because of the Gordon thing, but... I just want to say, like, Eckler is legit good. Like, he's going to be in there over Justin Jackson. He is a very good running back in his own right. Wide receiver, sorry to uh, rain on your Robbie Anderson parade, man, but Jamison Crowder is about to lead the Jets in targets, unfortunately. (laughs) So, let's see there. And then uh, tight end, I think Austin Hooper uh, cracks in the top ten. He was, like, one of only eight last year that played at least 75. of his offense and snaps, Falcons indoor pretty much all year. I like Hooper uh, cracking that top ten. I love, Dirk Cutter loves his tight ends, too, as we've always seen. Sure so does. I'm, I'm with you there. On the opposite end of things, everyone kind of hates that overpriced player who busts and brings him shame for the rest of the year. So like last time, who's not going to be worth their cost by position and is going to bust in 2019? Um, quarterback, Drew Brees is going as a QB7 right now. I mean, look, I'm not saying he can't be a top 10 QB still, but I think his top five days are definitely over. And with how deep the position is, uh, don't reach on Drew Brees. Running back, Philip Lindsay. Man, like, it, it's, they're trending towards doing more of a one-two punch with Freeman, and Devontae Booker is still freaking there to take away targets. So I don't want to, you know, hate on Lindsey. The guy's great with the ball in his hands, but it doesn't look like the opportunity is going to be there this time around. Wide receiver, Adam Thielen. Uh, Vikings are going to more of a run-first offense, it looks like, with Kubiak there, and, you know, based on what they did after they fired their OC last year. Uh, and, you know, I'm Team Diggs over Thielen. Uh, tight end, uh, Eric Ebron, because one, Jack Doyle's back, so we're looking at a smaller snap share, and two, 
I can see Devin Funches honestly leading this team in uh, red zone touchdowns compared to Ebron this year. So it's going to be a lot of those two catches, 25 yards, and you better hope Ebron gets a touchdown type games. Love it. Uh, so from Kamara in 2017, Connor last year, there seems to always be that one player who goes well after round 10 and then just wins people their leagues. Who's your favorite to do that in 2019? I'm, I, and we haven't talked about this. I bet we have the same guy, though. Darwin Thompson. Yes. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> Love him. No yeah, doubt. Man, look, they're already saying he jumped Carlos Hyde in the depth chart. I, I'm not against Damian Williams or anything, but look, from what we've seen from Darwin, man, he's got that giddy up, and he's not yes. he's not afraid to run it up the middle. Reed likes him, and when Reed likes a running back, man, fancy points follow. I'm all about Darwin Thompson, all aboard that train. I didn't get him in my first draft of this year, and that was like the one thing I was absolutely kicking myself ah. about. I was like, oh, no one in my league knows this, and they all printed out my cheat sheet, and he went in like round nine, because that's where I had him ranked. I was like, no one's going to take him like where I have him ranked. I'll get him in round 11, and somebody took him at like 90 overall, because that's where I had him on the big board. I was like, you fucking bastard. So <laughs> that's the only thing that I regretted in that draft. But last question, not so much advice for our listeners, but if you have you ever witnessed, like, what's the fun? last place punishment either you've been a part of or side bet or whatever it might be either you've witnessed you've heard of you've been a part of give our listeners some ideas of ways to shame their league mates <laughs> um loser in one of my leagues this last year had to make a, a fitness instagram and update it like every week throughout the <laughs> off season that was entertaining uh that is in, awesome in college one time the loser of our league had to show up to every one of his wednesday classes dress up as john cena that was a fun one. And, jorts but, and everything. Oh my good god. Jorts and everything. Yep. Uh, with uh, you know, with the you can't see me green shirt. And then um, <laughs> yeah, Th- those are my two favorite I've been involved in. I think the favorite one I've ever heard of though in general, and a lot of guys have been doing now is making the loser take the ACT. It's just too funny because like because yeah. then like they don't want to get like a bad score and just be called a dumbass either. But then you're spending four hours on a Saturday taking the freaking ACT. So. Oh, I love oh, it, man. God. How about you? What's yours? What's your favorite? Oh, man. I've, I've seen a couple. And the, speaking on the SAT part, I, I have to proctor them, and I actually had to read it to a student one time as like an accommodation. Those tests are no fucking joke. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know how you guys are doing this thing. This is brutal. Uh, so, yeah, that that's a great one. I had one buddy who uh, – his league, the loser, they all had, a, I think, to, they could spend up to 10 bucks each on fast food items, and then they just got to hum them at the loser. So, like, 12 people had <laughs> 120 bucks worth of fast food. I mean, you can go to McDonald's or Taco Bell. You can do some real damage, and they just got to pelt the guy with it. it like, he had to stand there in a Speedo while just getting destroyed by fast food. So, I thought that was a pretty unique one and a pretty funny one. This other league, I mean, you hear about tattoo leagues, which is obviously just psycho and insane. This one league, though, they do a variation of a Chewbacca tattoo so you might have like Chewbacca jumping off the top rope as a wrestler or like a Johnny Cash Chewbacca with a guitar and stuff and they get like huge tattoos it's insane they cover themselves with it so those are a few great ones that I've heard yeah it's it's the best though that stuff is so funny I can't wait to hear more of them this year that's unbelievable man yeah if I was ever in that tattoo business man I'm getting the smallest thing possible like the bottom of my foot that takes some balls to be putting a big ass Chewbacca tattoo on your back <laughs> it's insane dude I know I absolutely love it oh. but Ian this has been awesome I really appreciate you coming on and giving us the time you have today why don't you remind our listeners uh, one more time where they can find you and connect with you one time as always man uh, thanks for having me again but yeah you can follow me on Twitter at iHeartitz I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z um, have some preseason stuff going up this week and then you can find me all over Roto Worlds once the season gets going Awesome. Thanks again, my man. This was great. Thanks. We used to have it all. 
now's our curtain call So hold for the applause Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd And take our final bow Oh, it's our time to go But at least we stole the show 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.